This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. It is a new year. And what I'm always grateful for with the new year is it, it, in some ways it feels like a reset, right? Like with a new year, it's a new me, right? And so a lot of the times with a new year, we make these things called New Year's resolutions. And so some of you out there, maybe you've made New Year's resolutions, or maybe your New Year's resolution is to have no New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, but for this morning, I think it's super interesting thinking of resolutions, so much so that I actually went and did a little research. I thought it would be really fun if I found some New Year's resolutions from a really cool group of people called Kids. And so I did just that. I looked online for some New Year's resolutions that kids have made. And uh, for our viewing pleasure this morning, I brought some of these quotes from these kids on what they made and added as their New Year's resolutions. So I wanted, to, I wanted to share that with you this morning so we can enjoy them together. The first one comes from a four-year-old boy named Austin who lives in Maine. And his New Year's resolution for this year was this, eat more butter. Just plain and simple. I, who can't get behind that? You know what I'm saying? Butter's delicious. Uh, and then I got a six-year-old Melissa from Ohio, and she said this, learn to drive. She's ready. It's her time. She's played enough arcade games where she's like, I'm ready for this. Uh, what's funny to me is this, I, you know, I have a five-year-old daughter, so close in age, uh, and she's still at the age where, like, if we go to an arcade in the mall, I can sit her down at, like, an a arcade race car game, and just the video that's already playing, she thinks she's playing a game. I don't even have to, like, put the money in, right? And so these are the people that are like, yeah, I'm ready to drive. I can't tell the difference between if I'm actually playing the game or not, but I'm ready to drive. Uh, and then five-year-old Lindsay from Missouri I uh, said this, her New Year's resolution was to not step on anthills, which I, I get that too because I, I do, I think we've got a problem. I, th I think ants are really close to being on the, uh, on the uh, obviously, the endangered species list. So I get it. I get why she feels that way. And then seven-year-old Jake from New York, our last one, he said this. He said, my New Year's resolution is to be an adult so I can eat candy and not brush my teeth. Which to me sounds more like a kid than an adult, but I think he's got the wrong idea of what it means to be an adult. But here's what I love about all these. I love this, that for the most part, they're all like really attainable goals, except for the driving one for the six-year-old. But they're all like very reachable, attainable goals in New Year's resolutions that maybe we can relate to in some way, shape, or form. But they're nice, right? They're nice, realistic goals and resolutions. And so this morning, I wanted to share with you one of mine that I thought I'd bring to the table this year. But, I mean, this really it goes beyond just a New Year's resolution. This is really just something I've, I've considered for many years uh, adding to my life. And it's this thing called running. Now, if you've, been at, if you've been at Bridgeway long enough, some people are big fans. And some people were like, ugh, why would he say that? If you've been at Bridgeway long enough, then you know uh, that our lead pastor here, Ron, is an avid runner. As a matter of fact, he runs these Ironman races, which is like, if you, you just look it up, like an Ironman race, I don't know how it's humanly possible. It's, an, it's insane, and yet it's also extremely impressive. But every time Ron talks about it, I sit there and I'm like, yeah, I would rather do literally anything else than that. 
As a matter of fact, like running has been my enemy. Other than in sports where there's like a ball involved, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, like if it's running just to run and there's no ball, like I'm out. It hurts. I don't like it. It's not my favorite thing at all. And yet I have realized that I think it's something that I, I, I might need to add to my life. It might just be good for me. And so I've been I've been thinking about this for years, and I'm deciding to, like, get more serious about it this year. But a couple years ago, I had an experience where it was like I had been thinking about running, and then I had a very real-life situation that I got to live out involving running. You see, my family and I, we were going on a trip, took a little vacation. We're going to visit my brother-in-law in Missouri. And I found out that pretty much, like, right before we went on the trip, that the whole family, while we were there, were going to be doing a 5K race. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what I want to do on vacation, is run. <laughs> and so I, 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 like, been preparing myself. I'm like, okay, everybody in the family is running. And I'm like, I can't not run. I've got to do it, too, if everybody else is doing it. So I did what every good runner, racer does to prepare uh, for a race before that race happens, I didn't prepare at all. <laughs> like, I didn't run at all. I didn't prepare myself. Like, I'm just going to show up and try it and do it. And so I get there. We get there, and we, we do the race. We run the race, and it's in, like, the, the Missouri heat in the middle of summer. And we get to the end of the race, and I remember thinking, like, we're done. Oh, my gosh. I told myself, I'm going to run the whole time. I'm not going to walk. And I did that, and I got to the end. And my hope, my limbs felt like limp noodles, right? And I just remember thinking to myself, why does anybody enjoy this? And in the midst of the pain, all of a sudden I hear this voice come on over, over loudspeakers. Somebody had a microphone. And they're bringing everybody over. They want to announce the, the winners of each age bracket, each age group. And they're in the race. I'm like, okay. I like somehow drag myself over there. And they're announcing the, the winners for each group, each age bracket, and they get to mine, and they say, in first place with a time of, I'm not going to tell you, uh, Justin Gill. And I'm like, what? I, I, didn't pre- I, didn't, I wasn't prepared, right? Like, I'm like, no way. And I'm like walking up there. I'm like, I must be the Michael Jordan of running, and I didn't even know it. And I go up there to accept my award, and I look at him like, this is beautiful. I'm going to put this on display. And I ask the lady, I'm like, I don't know, like, can you tell me, like, how many people were running in my age group? Like, and she looks down at her list, and she looks back up at me, and she goes, one. (laughs) And I realized in that moment that not only was I the fastest in my age group, but I also technically was the slowest. (laughs) And needless to say, that, uh, that medal did not make it back to my house to be put on display, but... I remember in that moment just feeling uh, in the midst of disappointment that I was the only runner in my age group, but I also remember just feeling just dead, tired, just exhausted, just whipped in a way that I wasn't used to, and it really made me realize just how tired I was and how out of shape I was in that moment as well. And yet, I think this. I think you and I, I don't think we need a race. I don't think we need a race to make us tired in life. I think, I think we experience this all the time without races. Everyday life, I think, can just get us, get us feeling this way. 
And when we're not only exhausted physically at the end of the day, I think we experience other exhaustion as well, physically, mentally, spiritually tired. Just this like all-around feeling of being gassed throughout life. Maybe you can relate. And sometimes it feels like this. It feels like we're just living out this vicious cycle, this vicious cycle, day in and day out of wearing ourselves out and wearing ourselves down, again, physically, but maybe also mentally and spiritually. Now, here's the deal. We live in a culture that pushes us to have every minute of every single day chocked full of stuff to keep us moving towards some version of success. And we end up saying yes to a lot of things in life that don't actually breathe life into us. To some degree, I think that can be all of us. Which is why I want to tell you this morning, if you felt that before, I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone in that. If, if each and every single day, you get to the end of the day, and you're like, holy smokes, how did I make it through another day? To some degree, I do. I think that can be all of us at times. And we can find ourselves in a position where we're craving this thing called rest. Or more specifically, maybe we're craving this thing called soul rest. And yet the Bible, I believe, has just the right antidote for this trouble that a lot of us live with. And so this is what I want to do this morning. I want to journey with you through a few different passages of Scripture that all come from different books in the Bible. And yet even though they're from different books, I believe they're all connected. And we're going to start in the book of Isaiah. And so if you have your Bible with you today and you want to open it up and follow along, you can do so. You can also follow, follow along on the screens uh, behind me and to the side of me. But if you're opening up your Bible and you're looking for the book of Isaiah, it's in the Old Testament, and it's sandwiched in between Song of Solomon and the book of Jeremiah. So you'll find it right in there. So we're going to open up to Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, it says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. I'll read that again. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so when I read that passage, I can't help but realize that a big point of this is this. It's that at some point, every one of us gets weary. At some point, every single one of us gets weary. Meaning that no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how physically fit you are, how mentally stable you are, how far you've worked your way up the corporate ladder with tireless effort, every single one of us gets weary at some point. And so I want to share with you this morning about this word weary because it shows up a lot in that passage. And so I want to give you the biblical definition of the word weariness. And here's the first, it's a two-part uh, definition. Here's the first part. It's exhaustion of strength, which is induced by labor or fatigue. And then a second definition goes on to say this, 
uneasiness proceeding from continued waiting, disappointed expectation, or exhausted patience, or from other cause. And so being weary goes beyond just a physical exhaustion. See, weariness can really be seen as a, as a spiritual exhaustion or, or an exhaustion even at the soul level. And so the question becomes this, are you going to the right place for weariness resolution? Because I believe, I believe this about myself. I know this about myself. I and we can go a lot of different places when we're weary, don't we? Like we can just go to a lot of different places when we're tired, exhausted, weary. Whether it's, whether it's your TV show or your favorite ice cream or a book, like the list goes on and on. But what actually resolves weariness, not covers it up as a Band-Aid, but what actually resolves weariness, we get the answer in that passage that we just read. And so I want to go back to read verse 31 one more time. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And here's what's interesting about this verse to me. It's that first line. It's, a, it's those who hope in the Lord. Those who hope in the Lord will then experience these things. But it starts with hope in the Lord. And yet if we look at what that means, we look at hoping in the Lord, hoping in God, or just even being hopeful, we realize that, man, we realize that being hopeful comes with this thing that we don't necessarily love called waiting. That being hopeful comes with an element of waiting, doesn't it? Because if we're putting our hope into something or into someone, then we're thinking forward and waiting to see what the results are. If we're hoping for the best, then we're waiting to see the best as our outcome. If we're hoping in the Lord, we're waiting for God's purpose, God's plan, God's timing, God's sovereignty. And yet waiting is not something that we're great at most of the time, is it? especially in our culture that we live in. Think about it. A lot of us won't wait the 30 minutes that we get told we've got to wait to get into the restaurant we're at. We're like, 30 minutes? What? I'm going somewhere else. We pack up and leave. There's a reason you can buy fast passes at amusement parks to skip to the front of ride lines because we don't want to wait. If you pay a little bit more or take out another mortgage for a lot of bit more, you could buy a fast pass and never wait in the line. Go right to the front. There's a reason you can jump in line online when you have an appointment at the DMV that you've got to get to. Some of you in here, I just gave you a life hack. You didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> but you can sign in online before you're even there, and then you'll get notified when it's like, ah, about 15 minutes till you're at the front of the line. Then you can go about your way and get there and, and not have to wait. I mean, we're, we're a culture that drops entire seasons of TV shows on streaming platforms that you can see all at once, right? Like, gone are the days where, gone are the days where you're waiting for that next episode of Dawson's Creek that you're biting your nails over. I literally used the most random show I could think of. <laughs> but the difference is this. The difference is that God indeed is worth waiting on and hoping in. Because he'll renew your strength. 
and you'll soar on wings like eagles and not grow weary. But let's be real. How many of us in here this morning feeling like we're soaring on eagles' wings in life? I see, I bet a lot of us don't feel that. I bet a lot of us feel like we're stuck in the mud. We're stuck in the mud with busyness, with the hustle and bustle of everyday life, with the stress of getting everything done that we need to get done, and that's not even considering the things that we want or desire to get done on top of it. And I don't think this, I don't think this is exclusive for just one stage of life either. I bet we've all felt this at different stages of life, whether we're kids or students or single or married or parents or working or retired. I believe we've all felt this at different stages. And so I believe we've got to ask ourselves this question. Am I living into a life of weariness? Am I, whether by, whether it's intentional or not, am I living into a life that's producing weariness? And so here we go. Our passage that we just read in Isaiah used that, that key word for the day, weary. It used that word four times in one passage. That's a lot. That's a lot of time. Four times in one passage. Four times. That's how many times the Buffalo Bills lost the Super Bowl in a row in the early 90s. That's a lot. Four times is a lot for one passage. And yet every time I read that passage, I'm reminded of Jesus' words in the book of Matthew. And this is what he says. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I read that passage, I can't help but know that rest is a necessary gift given to us from God. That rest is a necessary gift. Notice that Jesus commands us in this passage. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, hey, if you've got time in your day, like maybe consider leaning in on me if it's convenient and not too much to ask. No, his language is stronger than that because the result is really strong. Come to me, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls in me. And because this is a command from Jesus... We can surmise that it's needed. It is necessary, meaning we need rest. And through an intimate relationship with Jesus, it's given to us. Because rest truly is a necessary gift. Now, when I was a kid and I would see this verse in Matthew of Jesus talking, there was one thing that really stuck out to me in that passage, and it was the word yoke. And all I could imagine was like Jesus like breaking eggs on top of people's heads. (laughs) And as great of an image as that is, that's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Instead, what he's talking about and referring to actually looks more like this. And so a yoke is actually an instrument used in farming a lot of the time. And so this is an instrument that you would place two cows in. Their heads would kind of come through this, and it would make it so they had to stand right next to each other, side by side, while plowing a field. And so when we read the words of Jesus that said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus is saying, 
bind yourself to me. Bind yourself to me step for step, stride for stride. I'll teach you my ways, and you'll learn that a life in me is less burdensome than a life without me. Man, when we, but when we personally follow, when we personally know Jesus, we've got to step side by side with him. And yet, there's still going to be burdens. Even though life will be less burdensome, that doesn't mean that there won't be burdens, right? And yet when we personally know, follow, and walk with Jesus, the burden becomes lighter because we will find rest in him in the midst of our burdens. Because he's right there with us. And so Jesus knows that we need rest, that our souls need rest. And when we prioritize our faith in him in our lives, we're gifted with a type of rest that can only come from him. Because nothing else can offer us a type of rest like Jesus can. Right? No vacation, no nap, no lunch break, no melatonin will give us the type of rest that Jesus and only Jesus can give us. And yet here's one of the questions that I can't help but ask in the midst of this message. And it's the question that leads me to what I believe is a key element that can't be ignored in this conversation about rest. And it's this question. Is there something I can do better? Is there something I can do to better rest in Jesus? Is there something I can do to better rest in Jesus? I, I want to do this. I want to give you an answer to that question. And it, but it doesn't come from me. It comes right from Scripture. We pull it right from Scripture. And some, I want to give you a little bit low, more context some more context for the passage in Matthew that we just read where we hear Jesus' words is that Jesus, while he was offering rest, he was also offering rest from the legalistic law-keeping of the Pharisees in that time. You see, interestingly enough, the Pharisees had come up with over 600 regulations that they wanted people to follow that pertained to this thing called the Sabbath day, which was the one day of rest in the week, in the seven days that people were to take. And so these, these over 600 regulations, they were detailed with all sorts of different qualifications for whether something was considered to be against the law when it pertained to the Sabbath day of rest. And so I find it no coincidence that the words we just read from Jesus at the end of chapter 40 in Matthew, where he's talking about rest, I find it no coincidence that those words lead right into chapter 41 where a big chunk right at the beginning is all about the Sabbath. Because those two are undoubtedly connected. This soul rest that we're talking about and the Sabbath are undoubtedly connected. And so this question I'm about to ask is the destination of our journey this morning, and it's this. Do I practice the Sabbath? But before we answer that question, I think we got to, like, go back and look at what the Sabbath is. Because when I say that, when I even bring this up, and I say the Sabbath, or anybody hears the Sabbath, I know typically the first thing we think is like, whoa, I don't know about that. I don't know, like, in today's age, is that meant for us? Is that meant for me? And yet I want to look back into the book of Exodus chapter 20. 
And we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus is right there. So we're going to look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, because it tells us what the Sabbath is. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant. I'm going to pause right there because what I want you to know is that Scripture isn't condoning slavery here, but it's speaking into the times. It goes on and says, nor your animals, not any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God himself modeled the Sabbath for us in the creation of our world. And on the seventh day he rested and he consecrated that day as holy. The creator of all the heavens and earth rested on the seventh day. Not because he needed it, but because he needed us to see it. And if I know anything about God, it's that he doesn't do things without purpose. So if he, need us, he, if he needed us to see it done, this rest, this Sabbath, how could we not consider the implications of that in our own lives today? So I go back to our question. Do I practice the Sabbath? As Christians, do we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? If your answer to that question is no, let me ask a follow-up question. What's keeping you from doing so? I, I actually, I, I want you to take a moment and actually honestly answer that question in your mind, in your own head, for yourself. What's keeping you from practicing the Sabbath? Because here's the deal. I, I believe a reality of our culture in this Western civilization that we live in it is this. We're all about the hustle and the grind. And at times, it feels like rest is for the weak. And, and I believe the preeminent thought about the Sabbath for Christians is that for one day a week, it's calling us to live the life of a monk. <laughs> and that when we hear the word Sabbath, we think of it as this thing that's like, okay, I've got to say no to literally everything, walk around my house carrying candles, and as I walk into the room, I have to announce myself with Gregorian chants, like, ho, he, ho, 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 like, and we think of the Sabbath in this way, and we're like, because of that, it just doesn't seem like a realistic thing I need to add to my life in this day and age. And I get it. But check this out. What I believe we fail to realize about the Sabbath is this. The Sabbath is a blessing, not a burden. It's a blessing, not a burden. Jesus himself said in Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man made for Sabbath. I think we tend to view the Sabbath as this extra thing. To add, it's just another thing to add on our plate instead of what it truly is, the ultimate broccoli scraper offer with our plates. I have the mind of a youth pastor, remember. It, its purpose, the Sabbath's purpose, is to take things off our plate so we can truly stop our perpetual motion and take time to find rest for our souls in Jesus. Church, we're, we're kicking off a new year. 
It's already been kicked off. We're a week into the new year. And with every new year, every new year, we have a lot of new dreams. We have new goals. We have new practices. And this morning, I'm simply asking the question, what if we made this Sabbath a high priority in our lives this year? What would that look like? What if our souls need it, thirst for it, crave it? What if we viewed it as additive to our lives and not subtractive? I want to encourage you at the beginning of 2024 to do this, to get creative with your Sabbath, to get creative with it. I don't know what that can look like for you. I think it will look like a multitude of different things. But I, I can tell you what it, it looks like for me and my family as, as we've been discussing this and just going, man, do we Sabbath how Jesus calls us to Sabbath? And so even in my family, we've decided to take Friday evenings into Saturday midday and just make that a time for our family to come together, rest and invest in each other and in God. And I think that can look like all sorts of things. That can look like coming together for a family meal and just like making sure we're all sitting down at the table together. And while we're at the table, I don't know, maybe we, maybe we dive into scripture together. It doesn't have to be like an entire book at once. Maybe we draw, dive, dive into a passage and talk about it as a family. Maybe we do, do a Devo in that moment together. Maybe we pray together. Maybe we take a moment, whether it's a, over a meal or not, to just sit and rest in who Jesus is and look back at our week that was and say, God, what did you do there? How did you move there? And look at the week that's to come and say, God, how can I continue to live into what you're doing in my midst? Man, maybe, maybe it looks completely different. Maybe, maybe if it's not just a meal with like just you and your kids, maybe you invite your whole family over. I, I, I heard this from a, from a pastor once who was trying to figure out his own creative way to Sabbath. And he said, hey, we, we've decided, and this sounds crazy, but we decided to invite our, our entire family over, immediate family, and then like a couple generations beyond for a family meal for our Sabbath. And it's nuts, and it's chaotic, and it's crazy, but it brings our generations back together together, and we rest together in who Jesus is. Now, I get it. Some of you hear that, and you're like, that doesn't sound like rest to me. <laughs> and I'm right there with you. <laughs> that sounds like stress, not rest, but it's different for every person. So I encourage you, get creative with your Sabbath. What does it look like? Maybe for you, it looks like taking time every week and making routine out of this where you shut your phones off or you power it down, or whatever that looks like, or you just leave your phone in a room and you don't look at your phone or screens for a certain amount of time. Because guess what? We do so much of that during the week. Maybe you sat, maybe you can choose the Sabbath and to abstain from something like that. However that looks for you and for your family, I, I want to tell you this. The Sabbath is not something that we're to overlook, but it's something that I do believe is important. We're called to figure that out, and I think we can get creative with it, and it can be fun, and it can bring a, a level of rest that we don't experience in any other way in life. You see, the goal of Sabbath, the goal when it comes to Sabbath isn't seeking Sabbath perfection, like I have to be a monk. <laughs> it's seeking Sabbath restoration. 
It's turning our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our souls back toward God and experiencing exactly what Jesus said we would experience for our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our souls. This thing called rest. And I got to tell you, I think, I think it's exactly what we need, and I think we were created for it. And so, church, my hope and my prayer this morning is this. It's that you would consider taking God up on this offer of Sabbath. Not as an extra thing to stress you out, but as, a, as an important thing that will actually help center you. And it's a gift that he's created for us. I get it. I've said it once in this message, and I'll say it again to end and wrap up. We hear the word Sabbath, and it sounds strange. Yet what if God is calling us to be countercultural? To plan a Sabbath time in our week to slow down. To make it a habit. To make it a routine. To make it a discipline. To rest in God and see how he blesses us with it. So church, that's my prayer is that we can do that and find the type of rest that God calls us to that we really can't find anywhere else. And I see 2024 in this new year as a great opportunity to just try it. So I encourage all of us, myself included, to dive into this and see what God does with it. Because I do do truly believe that he'll bless us with it. And so let me pray for us. We're about to jump into a a time of worship together. And I even see this time of worship together as an opportunity to, in the moment, rest in who Jesus is and worship and praise him. And so let's do that together, church. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you call us to find rest in you, that you do give us a type of rest that we can't find in anything else. God, in the moments where we feel weary and tired and exhausted for all good reasons, God, I pray that that we look to you and that we find a type of rest for ourselves and our souls that we can't find anywhere else. God, thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. My prayer this morning is that we would take Sabbath seriously and see that it is just that. It's a gift that you've given to us. It's not something that takes away from our lives, God, but it's something that can add to it and just continue to invest in a relationship with you. And so, God, that's my prayer this morning, is that we would invest in our relationship in you in this way where we find rest physically, mentally, spiritually. And, God, because of that, I think, I I believe and I know that we'll be all the better for it. So, God, would you be with us this year? Would you be with us this year as we continue to grow and what it, what, what it looks like as we walk with you? God, will we walk side by side with you, step for step, stride for stride, and recognize that your purpose and plan for us is so great and that plan involves rest. So God, we do that just now right here in this moment. As we rest in you, as we worship and praise you in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 